Good morning, everyone. It is so awesome, awesome, awesome to be here with each and every one of you today as we are transitioning to coming together just in one service. I'm so glad that you all were able to adjust your time and to be able to make it for this, uh, this time. I just believe that God is going to just continue to increase and enlarge us as a group and a gathering as we combine all of our strengths and resources just to see what God can do as we move forward. And again, I just want to welcome everyone here, both of you that are here in person, which is awesome, but as well to those who are listening online. We're just so glad that you are a part of our Eastside City Church family, and we are so blessed. And I believe that God is going to continue to bless you as we go forward. Well, my name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and it is our blessing and our privilege to be able to serve you. I want to let you know again that next week is a very, very uh, kind of important week for us when it comes to uh, just uh, one of our times where we, we do um, look at our, our, as a church, our family members, um, praying about giving uh, something above and beyond your tithes and offerings uh, towards the church, towards the mission of the church. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, uh, our, in, in our neighborhood here, we're actually uh, looking at um, Memorial Drive actually going all the way through. They're actually saying that it's going to finally happen. I know I've been in this church for almost 30 years, um, and they said it was going to happen. But there's things that we want to do in order for our building, our church, to be able to reach the next generation. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. But I want you to prepare as next week we do what we call Seed Sunday. And the reason that we call it Seed Sunday, just uh, in the Bible, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about seed, the faith of a mustard seed. They consider our resources like seed. I believe that God gives us each time we get paid some seed. And how we invest it, how we use it, is very important to God. And I believe that one of the greatest places that you can plant your seed is in God's kingdom. And so I'm believing that God is going to do a miracle offering so that we can do some things that we need to do as a church so that the ministry and the, 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 um, the work of God can continue to go forward from this house. Can I hear an amen for that? So that's what it's about. If you're kind of wondering, I'm not trying to play tricks or hide things from you. That's exactly where, where we're at. And I believe God has got great things as we move forward in the future. Well, today we're going to continue our Real Church series. And we, we talked a little bit last week about what is real church? Why real church? Well, here's what it is from our perspective. Real church is the desire to be genuine and authentic in our relationships and motivation. To be people that are that, that, that a church that when we, we do things that we have a proper motivation. And here's what that means for us at Eastside City Church. It means to be people who seek God's heart in every aspect of our lives. It is to be people who understand that they need the power of the Holy Spirit, not only for growth and maturity, but to lead and guide us and for us to be able to do his will. And to be those who walk together in unity, enjoying the favor of both God and man. I talked last week a lot about unity, how unity, I believe, is a key, that when we walk together in unity, God releases his blessing. The more unity there is, the more power we have in the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God wants us to do. Well, I said this, that God wants us also to have favor, favor with both God and man. And what does that mean? Well, I believe this, we're called to be people influencers, not people pleasers. 
You see, there's a great difference between being an influencer versus trying to make sure everybody's happy, you don't offend people, you know, we gotta be careful in what we do. No, we're called as Christians, we're called to be the salt of the earth, we're called to be people that influence the world around us, that when we walk into a room, that when we come together, something should be different about our lives, that the presence of Jesus inside of us should touch everything around us. You see, I believe that God has called us to be people who stand up and stand out when it comes to our life, that we're to be Holy Spirit risk takers. Yeah. See, I believe that you and I are called to have a relationship with Jesus that inspires other people. So I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to kind of step on toes here right away today. And here's this question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus that other people even notice? Would people know that you are a follower of Jesus? Is it noticeable in your life and the way that you live, the way that you talk, the things that you do? Now, I'm not talking necessarily about being somebody that, that every time you turn around, you're quoting scriptures at people or you're, you're, you know, you're chasing people down in the park and tackling them and saying, you need to get saved, you know, turn or burn. That's not what we're, we're talking about here. But I'm saying that there should be something about your life that is obvious that God is in your life. I want to say this, after, uh, when I was in college, after my first year of college, I attended a community college in my hometown. I decided to move to Portland, Oregon to attend Portland Bible College. And I was excited about this opportunity. I, I thought it was gonna be great because I was gonna be around other people that were hungry for God. Well, I quickly discovered that even though most people attended Bible college, were Christians, they had the same problems that I found in the local community college. Insecurity that manifested in itself for many being too cool for school, you know, they just, you know, hey, I can't, you know, I don't want to get too excited about God, you know, we got to be cool here. Relationship issues that included struggles with purity, temptations to lie, cheat, drink, and do drugs. It was all there. Why? Because they were people who needed more of Jesus, how many people in this room need more of Jesus? You'd be honest. That's, you're here because you need more of Jesus. Me too. Now, most were seeking God, but some could take it or leave it. However, there, there, was, there was this one guy who really stood out to me. His name was Troy. Now, Troy was not only a cool cat. You know, it's okay to be cool. I want to let you know that as young people, young adults. It's nothing wrong with that. But he was nice to everyone. I mean genuinely nice to everybody in the school. It didn't matter where they came from, what their, what their status in life was. This guy was just nice. He would have conversations with everybody. He genuinely was just this nice guy. And to top it off, he was completely sold out to God in every area of his life. When he talked about God, it was like he was talking about his best friend. And when he worshiped God, he was passionate and engaged. Now here's what it went for me. He inspired me both with his words and his actions. He backed up what he talked about and I wanted to be like him. You see, he was on fire for God and I wanted the relationship with God that he had. You know, that, that's, I think that's sometimes something that's good for people to be like, I want that from somebody else. 
John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher, made this statement, get on fire for God and men will come to watch you burn. Now, in our context, that might be a little scary. We're not talking about literally setting people on fire. We're kind of like Moses burning bush type fire. You know, a fire that burns but really doesn't burn things. You know, that kind of fire. See, God has called us to be those who inspire others to follow him. That's what he's called us to be. And we should have a fire or passion in our relationship that rubs off and ignites faith in other people. I believe that's what God has called us to be. You see, we're not just called to be people that are Christians in name only. I'm going to talk about that here for a minute. We're not just called to be people that show up and attend church and Jesus is a little part of our life, but we're to have something that people, that that touches the people around us. The writer in Hebrews says it this way, let us think of ways in Hebrews 10, 24, to to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What's he saying? He's saying, Let's be those who motivate people to do what is right, not only through our words, but also through our actions, that we have an active, real faith. You see, I believe this, that real church equals people who live out their faith. And to do this, we need to look at faith differently. You know, faith was not only meant to be a, a belief, something that we hold close to our heart, but something we live out daily, a lifestyle that is observable, and impactful. In my grandparents' generation, faith was a belief system that was only between you and God. That was kind of the way it was. And we talked about church or or whether we were believers. You know, you you just kind of, you maybe talked about it a little bit in your family around the the dinner table, but you you didn't, it wasn't something that you put any uh, energy into talking about or sharing with other people. You see, it was personal and not meant for public conversation or demonstration. You do not talk about it because it might make other people feel uncomfortable or worse yet, you might get labeled religious. I mean, that was a horrible label. When I talked to my grand, they're like, you don't want to be like those religious people. The problem is that it was unbiblical and it neuters the gospel. You know, ultimately what powerless faith has done is inoculated people to the gospel, making them resistant to the message of Jesus. You see, when you only are a little bit, like you're like, okay, I don't, I, I'm, I'm gonna be kind of a Christian, or I don't wanna get too excited about this, or I don't wanna do this, you know what happens? And it happens a lot of times in people's families and this, it inoculates those around you to actually being full out believers in Jesus Christ. You see, cold faith influences people to reject the gospel and resist Jesus. Did you know that some of the staunchest atheists and agnostics today grew up in powerless religious churches where there is never a demonstration of the goodness and life-changing power of God? If you look at their lives, if you study who they are in history, oh, they knew about church. They, they could even quote scriptures to you. They understood it. They even went to Sunday school, lots of them, but they became inoculated to the gospel because they never saw the power of Jesus demonstrated. Craig Rochelle in his book, Christian Atheist, says we need to watch out that we do not become people who are Christians in name only. He describes it this way, you believe in God, attend church when it's convenient, and generally treat people with kindness. 
But here's the question, but have you surrendered to God completely, living every day dependent on the Holy Spirit? I believe this, to experience the full measure of God's Spirit requires that we learn to surrender to Jesus completely. You see, when we come to the cross, when we come to Jesus, and we should be doing this every day, it should be, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? I'm surrendering to you, my will, my emotions. I give them to you. You show me what you want me to do. To be those who not only acknowledge faith, but live our faith out each day. Your life matters. I want you to know that. You were created to be a light on a hill that points people to Jesus. And my goal today is to encourage each and every one of you, to encourage me even, to be people who are free from hypocrisy, able to live passionate, authentic, God-honoring lives. That's the goal. That's our goal. So here's my prayer. God, today, I want to pray, would you remind us of your greatness? Remind us that your greatness lives inside of us. Show us how to set your greatness free. God, would you help me today with my words, help people set their greatness inside of them free. Give us the courage to pursue you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, I believe this, that each and every one of you is meant for so much more. How do we live, though, passionate, authentic, God-honoring lives? One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is the story of the early church in Acts chapter 2. And I want to I break down a few things that I see from this passage. In Acts chapter 2, the church was birthed. Peter, uh, the apostle who God had completely transformed his life by the Holy Spirit. When Peter got filled from the Holy Spirit, he went from this wishy-washy, um, um, emotional roller coaster of a man, chopping people's ear off, running away from um, you know, people challenging him, to the solid person that the Holy Spirit was using, and then the church was burst. And here's what it said in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I want to talk about this right at the very beginning in verse 42. It says that all the believers devoted themselves to. Well, the word devoted in the Greek dictionary, the biblical definition, has a couple meanings. The first meaning that I want to emphasize here today was giving full time. When they talk about being devoted, they were giving full time to a few things. What were they giving full time to? Well, they were pursuing Jesus, to follow Jesus. And we're going to talk about here in a moment four things that it says here, to, to learn about Jesus, to fellowship, to sharing meals, and to prayer. We're going to, we're going to break those down just for a few moments here today. You see, they were committed to learning about Jesus and living for 
Jesus in community. So it wasn't just that they were in their own house, uh, having their own personal devotions all the time. They also came together. In fact, they learned many things together. I'm very excited that uh, we have an evangelism course that Dr. Moody and, and Brother Io are teaching at nine o'clock. There are people that are learning how to evangelize. They're doing it together. They're learning together. I want to encourage you, if you want to learn how to share your faith, to join them at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings. It's happening. We've got a lot of other things I could highlight, but there's just one. And then the other word, the way you could define this word devoted is join constantly. It means they stayed together in unity. We talked about that last week, how important unity was. They, they, they didn't get into crazy arguments, and if they did, they would come back to a place of understanding. I, I want you to remember this, that the greater the unity, the greater the power. So from my perspective, you could translate this word devoted into those who pursue because I think that helps us. See, they were people who pursued activities that drew them closer to God and each other. They were passionate in their faith and devoted themselves to these four areas. Here's the first one, to learn about Jesus. I believe that we should be people who desire to learn about Jesus. Now, we know this. When you love someone special, you want to learn more about them, don't you? I mean, if you're really interested in someone or something, you, you, you give your time to it. You, you spend time researching that. You do, uh, if it's a relationship, you do creative activities to spend time together so that you can learn more about them. You see, when the early church came together, the people were hungry to learn more about this Jesus person. You see, you have to understand that for most of these people, they didn't see him or know who he was. They, they'd come from all sorts of different areas. Now, maybe some did. We know that the apostles did, but not everybody. So they were like, who is this guy? This is really fascinating. I want to know more about him. The man who contradicted the oppressive systems of leadership and religion. The man who demonstrated power through healing and other miracles. But more importantly, the man who not only taught about love for people, but demonstrated that love was more powerful than position or power. You see, it was a revolutionary thing that was happening. And these people were so hungry to know more about Jesus that they met together each day to learn more, to keep learning, to keep learning. I believe this, to grow in our passion for Jesus requires that we grow in our passion for his word, the Bible. I can't think of a greater book that we can read than the word of God. When it comes to the Bible, and, and many of us know this, but I just want to emphasize this today. If you want to be passionate, you want to have your faith shine out to other people, get into the word of God. Read it. Study it meditate on it. When I say that, I mean pray it out loud and even memorize it. But most importantly, follow it. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? We love Jesus. It makes, so it makes sense that our desire should be to know more about him. You see, I believe this biblical knowledge is activated when we walk it out. I, I gotta tell you this as a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm not impressed anymore by people's Bible college degrees or, or how many courses they take or the Bible knowledge that they have. I've seen a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge but very little walk in their life. You know, you can know a lot of things, but until you live it, until you breathe it, until it manifests itself in your life, that's to me when it's real. 
And I'm not here to say that people shouldn't learn more about the Bible or go to Bible college or get more training. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying what's most important is to live out the word of God, to demonstrate it. And here's what's cool about that. You don't need a Bible college degree to do that. You read the word and you obey it. Whew. You see, we demonstrate the power of God's word when we live it out in our daily lives. It becomes real to people. Here's the second thing they devoted themselves to, fellowship, fellowship. When I was growing up, one of the message in the church was, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Maybe you've heard that. Well, it comes from a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, that says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. What's it talking about? Well, they... We all need more friends, and more importantly, we need people to share our lives together who have godly values and godly character. The reason that we come together, the reason that we not only go to church, but we, we have fellowship together, we eat meals together, we are in small group together, the reason that these things are, are so important is the more that you hang around with people who have hunger and have a hunger and a desire for Jesus, the more that it's going to rub off on you. You will become like the people that you spend the majority of your time with. That's why husbands and wives, after a few years, you start acting like your spouse. You start saying things like yourself. Why? Because it just rubs off on you. You know, things that you probably would have laughed at in the beginning, like, oh, that's kind of weird that my wife says that. All of a sudden, I watch myself, I'm like, man, I'm saying the same thing. What happened here? You see, the more time that we spend with other believers, the more we will become like them. I, I, I can't say this enough, folks, in this age of, of being able to do so many things online, to be able to just watching messages that you can see, uh, get all the best preaching and be like, man, I'm getting fed. There's something about being and fellowshipping and hanging out and being around other people that are believers in Jesus. It's still as important now as it ever has been. You see, the early Christians spent their time with those who were hungry for Jesus, and here's what happened. They all became even more hungrier for God. The hunger just kept increasing and increasing, and that's what happens. Their friendships inspired them to grow and become more like Jesus, and they inspired others to join with them and become like them. I think we need to continue to make gathering together a greater priority. And I'm going, to keep, I'm going to be emphasizing that more. Not because I want to see, oh, man, look how many people were here today. No, we need each other. Number three, they devoted themselves to sharing meals. Okay, well, you just talked about fellowship, Pastor Todd. We know that eating is an important part of that. That's not really what it, it, it in my opinion, I'm interpreting this as. It's that they were helping each other. You see, to share a meal meant that they had to help people that maybe didn't ha have things. Here's what I, I believe happened. It's important to note that the, when the first church formed, there were people from many different city-states that had gathered together. They were around Jerusalem at this time. They had different backgrounds. And some were locals, while others were out there on business or other activities. And all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit drops, and their daily gatherings began. People literally just stopped what they were doing, and they're like, 
hey, I, w- I need to know more. I'm gonna park myself here. You have to understand in biblical times that people would do that. They'd like shift to places for seasons of time. And so there was a need to feed people and house people among other things. And so we see here that they, were, they helped each other. They served one another using their gifts and their resources. We have to understand that they lived in a society that was harsh and cruel to those who had need. And taking care of people was not normal or expected behavior. And here's what happened when they came together and helped each other. It produced an attractional awe and wonder in the surrounding community. And the Bible says that more were added to their numbers every day. You see, when you serve people, it touches people, even those outside of the church. When, we see, when people see people genuinely caring for other people, it impacts them. It stands out against the backdrop of apathy and self-service. Here's the fourth thing that they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is the glue that holds everything together. Nothing eternal happens that is not birthed in prayer. Amazed at the number of people who have great needs in their lives and refuse to come to prayer gatherings. They don't show up for things. It's like, eh, I got so many other things to do. And yet all of a sudden, if it was like, hey, I've got flames tickets today, it's like, whoa, I can't make excited. Let's go do that. You're going to see 100 flames games. And here's a guy that's a sports fanatic. I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I watch football, I watch baseball, I watch basketball. I mean, even a few years ago at Christmas time, I, somehow my television station had cricket. I never watched it before. Now, some of you, that's your sport. I, I spent a whole, a whole month and a half learning all the rules and what it was about. It was kind of a cool game. But here's the reality of it. None of those things are eternal. Because tomorrow there's going to be another game. And the next day there will be another game. But what we want to do is make sure that we are putting ourselves in places where we grow in our prayer because that is eternal. There's, a power, there's something powerful released when people come together to pray. It's called faith. You see, when I pray with other people, faith is released. And even the tiniest amount of faith can move a mountain, the Bible says. You see, the early church was dedicated to prayer. People not only prayed as individuals, you can read about it, but they spent time praying together. And because the early church made praying together a high priority, listen to this, they saw God move in power. Who here like to see God move in greater power? Then let's come and pray together more. Amen, I'm gonna leave it at that. You see, here's what they They did this, and I believe this, if you do those things, you will have a great, uh, your your, your faith will be something that touches other people. So how did they live this way? And I'm gonna give, I'm gonna finish with three things here really quickly that we have to do if we want to be able to add these four areas into our life. First of all, we have to break free from self. Self Self-focus keeps us from passionately pursuing God and impacting others. The things that pull us away from God are always connected to selfish living. I don't care what it is. And the goal, and it's been the goal since the beginning of mankind, since Adam and Eve had their first sin. You see, what the enemy did, what the devil did when he tempted them is he 
made them focus on their self, made them focus on what they were missing, made them focus on what God was keeping from them. And so they fell into sin. And so this thing that we have in our lives is that we have to constantly break free from ourselves. Now, this does not mean that we don't spend time making ourselves more healthy. And I heard this at a pastor's retreat I was at, and I believe this. There needs to be a healthy tension between self-care and self-sacrifice. You see, self-care is getting the right amount of sleep, having healthy relationships, taking time to exercise and eat healthier, making sure you're spending time with your spouse and your children and so on. There are things that you do so that you can become healthy. I think those are important. But also in the Bible, there's a lot of scriptures about self-sacrifice, putting other people first, making time for spiritual disciplines, making serving people a priority, sacrificial giving of our time and our resources. You see, those are self-sacrifice and they're, they're, they're not always as exciting to kind of make the time for. And if you read the Bible long enough, you know that there's always these tensions between these two thoughts, between grace and, 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 and working out our faith and, and between holiness and, and God's acceptance and his, 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 the, the way that he just empowers us. You see, there's these tensions that we face and sometimes we have to figure figure out, well, I've got to be in both sides of this. And unfortunately, I believe for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we need to find the proper ratio between self-care and self-sacrifice. And in this day and age, the pendulum has swung very far towards self-care, where people avoid self-sacrifice as much as possible. You see, taking care of personal needs is important, but I can't get around the Bible that commands us to pick up our cross daily. To follow Jesus means learning to deny ourselves things that benefit us to grow closer to him and help others. You see, the early church lived this way and took it to another level. They shared everything the Bible says, sharing, giving, serving. Because why? Because it kills self-focus. When you serve people, when you help people, when you give to those who are in need, when you make sacrifices in your life, it's hard to stay selfish. When you realize nothing is yours, self-focus cannot control you. I believe we have these opportunities when we come together all the time to serve people and to help people, to be a part of different areas of ministry, giving our lives to it giving of our finances. Next week, we've got a great opportunity to dig a little deeper to help move the things of, the, 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 uh, of church forward. You see, I believe that these things help us continually break self-rule in our lives and let the Holy Spirit rule. Here's the second thing we need to live this way. Is we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. To live a passionate, God-honoring life, we need the Holy Spirit you see, the early, in the early church, there was expectation for God to show up in his power. Expectation is the seed or birthplace of faith. The Bible says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved, and expect it to be moved. Now, some of you know, maybe not all of you do, but my wife and I and our family have a little dog, a little chihuahua. Her name is Taffy. She's kind of kind of taken over our family a little bit. Maybe you have a pet that's like that. And my little dog believes every time that we sit down at the table that we're going to give her something. Now I know that some of you are like, 
Oh, you're those kind of owners. I know. We broke all of her good training by spoiling her. We did. We've, we've ruined this dog. But there's something that amazes me, and I was, I was even talking to my wife about this uh, a few weeks ago. We were sitting around, and I was like, you know what amazes me about her is she anticipates that we're going to give her a morsel of something. She believes it. She expects it. She, she, she sits there, even when we're like, we're just talking. We don't have anything here. We're just, we're just having a little conversation. She still has this expectation. And you know what happens? Sometimes it motivates me to go get something for her. It moves me to want to give the blessing of the treat even when I was not planning on doing it. Listen to this. Expectation is the fertile ground of fulfilled promise. You see, I believe that we don't see as much as we think we should see when it comes to the power of God because we don't expect it. In fact, we're kind of like, yeah, that, that, that won't happen there. We got, we got to go to that special church that's, you know, that's where that miracle stuff is happening, you know, over in, 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 in Jamaica because well, that would be a great place to go or in the state somewhere or wherever it is. But God's saying, you know what, why that's there is because there are people that have expectation. We need to come to a church full of the Holy Spirit with the expectation that God is going to show up. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are a Holy Spirit church. My expectation for gatherings is for gatherings where people full of the Holy Spirit experience the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But to do so means we've got to come full of the Holy Spirit. And wherever we go, we take that spirit with us and it touches people. So don't blame others for the lack of God's presence. Get full yourself. And here's my last point today. If we want to live this way, what are things that we need in our life? And we see it from the early churches. We've got to become exceedingly thankful. One of the marks of the early church was their attitude of thanksgiving. It says in Acts 2.47, they continually praised or thanked God because of it, they enjoyed the goodwill of all people. You see, because of their thankfulness and the joy of the Lord, people were attracted to the faith and became followers of Jesus. Thanksgiving is an outward manifestation of an inward condition of our heart. Thanksgiving comes out of the individual for people to see. If you're truly a thankful person, you can't hide it. You're not like, well, that, I don't know what he's really about. I don't, I don't think he's, you know, thankful people, you see it. It comes off of them. It's, it's out of them. Why? Because it's, it, it's represented, it, and, and it's a manifestation of the faith that we have. I believe this, that worship starts with an attitude of thanksgiving. You see, complaining is also an outward manifestation of an inward condition, of, an unfaith, of a faithless or ungrateful heart. You see, our worship together is birthed from our personal thankfulness. The more thankful we are to God, the more intense our worship will be. And some of that are here struggle to worship because you struggle to be thankful. Ooh. All right, Pastor Todd, you can finish now. We're done. <laughs> Scare people away. You see, I believe we should be exceedingly thankful in all situations. Why? Because God's goodness to us. 
You see, we should be spreading that attitude of gratitude wherever we go. When we are thankful, people can see the hope that we have in Jesus and it's attractive. I'd like to have the piano player come up. We're gonna finish right here. See, I believe this. As real church people, that God's called us to live out our faith, that we're people that live out our faith each day. You see, I believe this, that God is speaking to each and every one of us here. Let's allow the Holy Spirit, let's allow God to touch us. Let's get on fire and people will come to watch you burn for Jesus. Hebrews 10, 24 and verse 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I wanna encourage you to allow God to light his fire in you. I believe some of you have come here, there is a fire in you. Here's what I'm praying today, by the breath of the Holy Spirit, God will just blow on that fire and it will just get brighter and it will burn hotter. But maybe some of you are here and you would say, I I don't really feel that fire in my heart. I believe that God wants to touch your life. I believe God's calling you to be one who points people to Jesus. I believe we should come on Sundays and other gatherings expecting God to show up in us and in others. And I believe God wants to add many to our fellowship, many to our gatherings because of our love for Jesus, as well as our love for each other. I wanna pray today, maybe you're here today, and maybe there's some things that I've spoken on that have challenged you. I'm just letting Holy Spirit just speak to me right now. Maybe, maybe some of you would recognize that I need a little bit more thankfulness in my heart. Maybe you've been struggling with worshiping God because And you don't know why, but I'm here to tell you, I believe I gave a key today by the Holy Spirit. It's because God wants you to be more thankful for what he's done in your life. That he wants you to have that heart of gratitude, to be able to recognize what God is doing. I I had a pastor who I talked to this week who is no longer pastoring. He had to give up his church. And his wife has cancer and it's very serious. And he was having a faith crisis in his life. And he said to me, Pastor Todd, why should I trust God? And I said, because he's good. And he says, how could you say that he's good? I said, because he is. I said, you're not sitting in a mud puddle in India right now begging for food. I said, God has done this and this and this in your life. And I said, I know that things are hard right now. But I said, what other choice do we have to believe that if we don't believe that God is good, what's the alternative? Maybe today, God just wants to remind you that he's good. Maybe you're struggling with being thankful. I just pray right now, Father, that you would just pour out your grace. Lord, you'd pour out your grace. I know that some are facing difficult things and Lord, you wanna twist, you wanna turn the the, the complaining into a heart of gratitude. Lord, would you change that today? If God's speaking to you, heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just lift up your hand if God's just challenging you right now in this area? Thank you, thank you. I believe God is gonna change some things in your life. 
gratitude, thanksgiving. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you're not as passionate for Jesus as you should be. God's speaking to you. Anybody want to raise their hand saying, Pastor Todd, I need more passion in my heart for Jesus. Thank you. More passion, more passion. That's right. God, I just declare that. Lord, a greater passion, a greater hunger, Father God. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd put that fire inside of them. Maybe you're here today and you, you are not full or full of the Holy Spirit. You're struggling with being full of the Holy Spirit. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at right now? God wants to fill you up pour out your, his Holy Spirit upon you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, but today what I'm sharing with you, you're saying, hey, I want to be somebody that, that, that knows that that's hunger free for him. Is there, is there anybody here today that would say that's them? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord.